It's a word we don't talk uh, much about these days, and that's unfortunate from my point of view. Uh, perhaps we don't talk that much about it because it's grown unpopular in certain segments of society, and in some cases, it's even frowned upon uh, in certain circles. And maybe, perhaps the biggest reason of all that we stop talking about this one word is because it's absolutely incompatible uh, with our modern-day version of what many people refer to as cancel culture. And, and the word I'm talking about is loyalty. Uh, we don't talk a lot about loyalty these days, and, and that's not a good thing. Um, maybe even more tragic than that we don't talk about it that much, it seems hard to find these days. Uh, loyalty is, is rare. And, and we don't talk about it, and, and, and we don't see it, uh, and maybe that's part of the reason why it's very difficult for, for us to define it. Um, if you just try to define loyalty, it's not the easiest word to define, so maybe that's the reason we don't talk about it that much, and maybe that's the reason we don't see it very often uh, in the circles where we live. But here's the thing. When we see it, we know it. When we see it, we know it, don't we? Uh, whenever you see loyalty uh, lived out, whenever you see loyalty exercised, uh, you know it when you see it. Uh, and that's just the way that it is. Uh, loyalty is attractive. Uh, it, it's compelling. It's moving. When we see someone loyal to another person, in, in whatever context it may be, there's, there's just something that captures our eye about that. There, there's something that causes us to lean in and just pay attention. Uh, when it comes to loyalty, loyalty is costly. Uh, sometimes being loyal to someone, uh, it comes at a high price. Uh, sometimes being loyal to someone uh, can damage your reputation. Um, it, it can cause you to be misunderstood. It can even cause you to be misrepresented when you decide to be loyal to someone. Uh, loyalty, um, in, in its most fundamental sense, it is foundation. It's foundational to any genuine and authentic relationship or friendship. Really doesn't matter what the relationship, what you call it, how you label it. It doesn't matter what kind of friendship it is. Uh, but loyalty is foundational to absolutely any relationship and any friendship. And when it comes to loyalty, it just doesn't happen by accident. Uh, loyalty requires some things. Uh, loyalty requires compassion. If, if you don't have the capacity for compassion, uh, chances are you're not going to be a very loyal person. Uh, loyalty requires patience with people. It, it requires a sense of consistency. It, it requires understanding because once you understand more about someone's story and, and once you understand who they are and where they come from and, and you begin to understand why they are where they are and you begin to understand what happened and probably why it happened, uh, once that understanding is present, loyalty, it becomes a little easier. Um, loyalty requires empathy. It requires grace. It requires truth. Uh, loyalty requires mercy. It requires forgiveness. And whenever that is present, the result of that, whenever there's loyalty present in a relationship or a friendship, it brings stability to the relationship. Uh, it, it brings consistency to the relationship. It brings safety and freedom and confidence to that relationship. Uh, because all of a sudden now that relationship, that friendship, there's safety for each person to be imperfect because we are imperfect. And some relationships behave as such that it's not safe to be imperfect. Uh, whenever there's loyalty, all of a sudden now within that relationship, within that friendship, there's freedom to not have to pretend to be something we're not or to be better than what we are or to be stronger than what we are. There's stability that's in that relationship because now we're confident that this relationship this friendship, it's stronger than the mistakes that I may make. It's stronger than the failures that I may participate in. Uh, it brings stability. It brings confidence. 
And again, this brings me back to something I mentioned a moment ago. What makes loyalty so difficult is the culture that we find ourselves living in. Uh, I'll I'll say this again just for us because it really kind of sets the trajectory of how I want to talk about this. Cancel culture is the enemy of loyalty. Cancel culture is the enemy of loyalty. Regrettably, loyalty has become a casualty of cancel culture. Uh, Loyalty will always suffer in a culture that says, hey, if you mess up, if you make a mistake, I'm severing ties with you. I'm done with you. Uh, Loyalty suffers in that kind of culture, that kind of mindset. Loyalty is diminished in a culture that says, hey, if you cross this line, then I'm writing you off. If you cross this line, you and me, we're through. Loyalty retreats from a culture that fears guilt by association with certain people, so much that certain people refuses to associate with certain people. Loyalty retreats from that kind of culture. Loyalty shrinks in a culture that says, hey, because what you did wasn't good, and because you said what you said it wasn't good, you are not good. And because you're not good, you are of no good to me anymore. Uh, loyalty runs away from that kind of thinking. Uh, loyalty is, uh, it's throttled. It, it, it's got a governor on it in a culture that insists on magnifying one person's vices over that same person's virtues. Uh, whenever all you can concentrate on, fixate on is what's wrong with the person, and you can no longer celebrate all the things that's still right about that person, uh, loyalty is going to be very difficult. Uh, loyalty is weakened in a culture that says, if you fail, get away from me. I don't want your failure on me. I'm out. I'm done. We're done. Uh, loyalty's weakened in that. Uh, loyalty becomes anemic in a culture that undervalues forgiveness and lacks the ability to express scandalous grace, like the grace that we find in the gospels that Jesus expressed to the people who followed him. Uh, In a culture that assumes the worst about people and dismisses the best about those same people, loyalty suffers. Uh, That's why cancel culture is the enemy of loyalty. In a world where so many people behave as though they're judge, jury, and executioner, and they judge people and punish people without mercy and without grace, loyalty suffocates. In that type of culture, in that type of mindset, loyalty dies. Now, I just wanted to say that because that brings me back to loyalty. Cicero, he said, and he's like, who in the world is Cicero? He didn't, he's not in the Bible. Uh, Cicero, uh, one of the ancient philosophers, he said, really, when I think about it, and and they had more time to think about things back then. He says, when I think about it, um, I think this is what we're all looking for. I think this is what we're all searching after. Because loyalty covers a multitude of weaknesses, it covers a multitude of failures, and as scripture would say it in its own words, it covers a multitude of sin. Loyalty says, if you have fallen, let me help you up. But loyalty also says, if you can't right now, that's okay, because I'm just gonna sit here with you, and I'm gonna stay with you, and I'm gonna stand by you until you can get back up. Loyalty says, hey, I have your back. I'm sticking by you, I'm sticking with you, even if the people who are shooting at you, if they even start shooting at me, that's all right. No matter what, I'm sticking with you, I'm sticking by you. Loyalty says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not gonna walk away, I'm not gonna abandon you, I'm not gonna forsake you, I'm not gonna give up on you, I'm not gonna write you off, I'm not gonna erase you from my life as though you never existed. No matter what, even if it costs me, I'm with you 
and I'm by you, and I'm behind you, no matter what. See, that's loyalty. And loyalty does that kind of thing because loyalty understands that abandoning someone is never good for anyone. Abandoning someone is never good for anyone because when you abandon someone, it never makes them or the things in their life better. It just doesn't. Abandoning, forsaking, you know, walking away, canceling someone, it makes the weight they carry heavier. It makes the battle they fight harder. It makes the pain they feel deeper. Now, hopefully not, but chances are, some of us, we might know what that feels like to be abandoned, to be forsaken, to be canceled by someone or a group of someones. We may know what it's like to be written off from someone else's life, to have the worst assumed about us because of something that's true about us. Uh, Some of us, we know what it's like to be erased from the life of a family member or dismissed from the life of a friend. Many of us, we've been there, we know that, we've experienced that. And then on the flip side, Hopefully not, but probably so. There are some of us, that's how we've treated someone else. Once upon a time, we wrote them off. Once upon a time, we walked away. We judged them and we punished them without grace or mercy or even the thought of forgiveness. Now, I just wanna tell you, I'm just gonna talk about me for a minute and then I'll talk about you. Unfortunately, I can do that. I can do that. That's in me. I have that capacity. You cross this line, you cross that line. It may not be your line, but it may be my line. And you cross that line, we're done. You cross that line, I'm through. I'm out. I'm gone. Fend for yourself. And unfortunately, you can do that to people as well. Hopefully you haven't, but you have that capacity because we're all just that human. Because here's the reality. People can be disloyal. If you know this is true, just say, "Uh uh-huh. I'm tired of you looking at me like I'm the only one who knows what I'm talking about. I get paranoid when you look at me that way. Pretend I'm a guest speaker. Just kidding. People can be disloyal. I can be disloyal. You can be disloyal. People can be dis. We can abandon people. We can write them off. We can forsake them. We can, we can walk away when they fall down. We can do all the things that cancel culture does. And, and here's the thing. Cancel culture is just not outside the church. There's plenty of churches that are fully participating within cancel culture. You see it everywhere. People can be disloyal. But here's what I want to talk about today. God can't be disloyal. People can be disloyal, but God can't be disloyal. God can't abandon you. God can't forsake you. God will not, cannot cancel you. God can't walk away from you and leave you to yourself. We've been in this series called God Can't Do Anything. And and if you're a guest of ours, this whole series is basically this one big idea that God is good and God is great because of all the things that God can do. But God is also good and God is also great because of all the things that he can't do. And it's very good news. It's part of God's goodness and greatness that he can't be disloyal. And in a world where people, families, friends, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, coworkers, employees and employers, politicians, tribes within the culture, churches 
In a world where they may turn their back on you, they may abandon you, they may forsake you, they may walk away from you, erase you from their life, pretend like you were never part of their life, assume the worst about you and ignore what's best about you. Even though us people, we can do that, God can't do that. God will not do that and that's really good news. Now, today I'm not gonna just take a single text and, and talk about it. Today I'm gonna give you a 30,000 feet view of scripture. And I want you to know that this idea that God can't be disloyal, you find it throughout the scripture. You find it manifesting itself in different ways. You find it expressed with different words. And I just wanna give these to you because I want you to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that even though we live in a world where people may write us off and people may wash their hands of us and people may walk away from us because of who we are or what we've done or what we said or what we didn't do or what we didn't say, God will not do that to you. God will not do that to me. So I wanna show you these promises that are scattered throughout the scriptures. And again, you don't have to, to write all these down. They're on our notes, which are on our app or on our website, and you can get them later. But if you wanna take notes, hey, just try to keep up, baby. Just try to keep up. I can't slow down, all right? Let me give you this first one. You find in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's one of the books of Moses. And Moses is giving his farewell sermon to the nation. Uh, he's getting ready to hand off leadership to Joshua. Uh, Joshua's gonna lead the, the Israelites over into the land of Canaan. And they're gonna have to fight the Canaanites to get the land that God promised them. And, and right before Moses dies, and right before they cross over the Jordan River, this is what Moses says to the nation of Israel. He says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Now, again, this is on the front end of Israel getting ready to move into the land of promise. And the path forward, the path forward was littered with obstacles, with challenges, with dangers, with threats, with risk. And, and the Israelites knew that, Moses knew that, Joshua knew that, anybody who was thinking clearly knew that. There was gonna be you know, war, there was gonna be violence, there was gonna be all kinds uh, of just bad things that are gonna happen over here when the, the Israelites cross over the river. And so God on the front side of that said, hey, listen, I want you to know I'm going before you, I'm going with you, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now. Israel knew there was gonna be challenges and difficulties ahead, but here's, here's what Israel probably didn't know. And this is what they couldn't anticipate. Their future was also full of a lot of mistakes, missteps, disobedience. And here's the thing that Israel absolutely did not know. They did not know on the day that they heard these words that they were just one generation away from departing from their faith in Jehovah. Israel didn't know, but there was just one generation standing between them and another generation rising up, which did not know the Lord. They did not know that they were just a few decades away from some of the darkest days of Israel's history, when everyone would do what was right in their own eyes. They didn't know that, but God did. And one day in that dark period we call the judges, when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, they're gonna be able to look back and remember that God told us no matter how dark it is right now, no matter how bad it is right now, no matter how difficult it is right now, he said that he goes before us, he's with us, and he promised that he would never leave us. He promised that he would never forsake us. And he told us not to be afraid and not to be discouraged. Not be afraid, even though there's something to be afraid of. 
and not to be discouraged and not to grow weary to the point that you quit. To always remember that he's going before you, he's with you, he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And that was a big deal, that was a big promise. So you find verses like that, and then you fast forward to the book of Psalms, and it's all throughout the book of Psalms. Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You've heard those verses before, and then you get down to verse four, and the psalmist says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Well, if you're in the darkest valley, how is it possible that you fear no evil? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And this is what David's saying. David says, when I'm in the darkest place imaginable, when I'm in the darkest season imaginable, when you are in the darkest moment that you can imagine, when you find yourself seemingly locked in the darkest season that you've ever been in, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fret. You don't have to fall apart because he's right there in the darkness with you. In the dark seasons of grief, he's there. In the dark seasons of pain, he's there. In the dark seasons of disappointment and discouragement and depression, he's there. In the dark seasons of addiction, he's there. In the dark seasons of sin and rebellion, he's there. In the darkest places, he refuses to leave our side. He's there. And that means we're never alone. Even in the darkest place, even in the worst place, he says we're never alone. And he says, this is a promise to hold on to. You turn a few more pages and you go to Psalm 27. And in Psalm 27, the psalmist says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my savior. Now, here's the thing. We're not sure what drove him to pray this prayer, but I think some of us, we've lived enough life, we can probably imagine some things. We can imagine some scenarios that we've had in our own life that drove us to just speak to God in such a way to say, God, I know about it. You know about it. Please don't turn your face from me. I understand why you would, but please don't turn your face from me. Do not be angry with me, God. I'm so sorry, God, please. I'm so sorry. Don't be angry. You've prayed those prayers. You've thought those thoughts. And I don't know what the psalmist, I don't know what he did. I don't know what he thought. I don't know what drove him to this. But he says, please do not reject me. Please do not forsake me. And then he says in the very next breath, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Now, again, I I don't know what's going on here, but it must have been to the degree that the psalmist was worried about whether or not his mom and dad could be okay, whether his family were gonna be okay. This was something that had so upset his equilibrium. This was something that was so bothering him and so troubling him, not only worried about how God would feel, but about how his family would feel. And David got to the point, because David wrote Psalm 27, David got to the point, he said, even if this is too much for my parents, even if this is too much for my mom and dad to process, even if this is a line that I've crossed too many times, too many times, and too many times, that they reject me, that they sever ties with me, that they abandon me, they forsake me, they write me off, they cancel me. He says, I'm confident of this one thing. God will still have me. God will still hold me close. He won't. He cannot. He will not abandon me. 
He just won't do it. In other words, if it gets to a point in my life where something happens and the fallout is so great that my parents walk out, I can always count on my heavenly father walking in and taking me in. Now, some of us, we didn't know the scriptures were this relevant until this moment because some of you, you've been at that point. You've experienced that. You lost your relationship with your mother or your father. You lost your relationship with your brother or your sister. You lost a relationship with that person that you loved, that you thought was ride or die. You, you just knew, you just knew that that relationship was always gonna be there, that you could always count on it. But, but something happened in your life. Something was said, something you did. There was a failure, there was a shortcoming, there was a line that was crossed and all of a sudden, somebody said, no, this is a bridge too far. This is, this is a line that I, I just cannot get over. Th th I cannot forgive this, I will not forgive this. You and I are done, I'm walking away. I'm washing my hands of this. There's no place for you in this home anymore. There's no seat at this table for you anymore. We cannot deal with this. We will not deal with this. The embarrassment's too much. Our anger is too much. So we're walking away. And David said, even if, even if a mom or a father would allow themselves to walk away from their son or their daughter, it is not so with your heavenly father that moms and dads are imperfect. Moms and dads are as human as anybody else. But if they cut the tie, if they disown, if they forsake, if they abandon, if they write you off, if they erase you as though you never existed in their life, it is not that way with your heavenly father. He says, I know my father will receive me. And so the scripture says, hold on to that. Psalm 37, just a few pages later, the psalmist said, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. And though they stumble, they will never fall for the Lord holds them by the hand. And this is a picture and you can study it for yourself a little bit later. I think the King James and the new King James uses the words ordered. Um, also there's translations that uses the word he ordains our steps. That God not only ordains our successful steps, God ordains the steps that end in failure. Say, so can you explain that? No, not really. You'll have to call somebody else up for that one. But, but this is what the psalmist seemed to believe, that God ordains my steps which lead to success and God somehow ordains my steps which lead to failure. That he's involved intimately in all the details of our life. But it says, even when we stumble though, he refuses to let us utterly fall, as it says in the Hebrew. He doesn't let us utterly fail because he holds us by the hand. It's kind of like when you taught your son or your daughter to walk for the first time and you kind of go behind them and, you know, e even if they were about to fall, you kind, of, you kind of soften it. They would fall, but they wouldn't utterly fall. You would let them fall down, but you wouldn't let them destroy themselves as they fell. That's kind of the picture. It's a picture of a father and a son hiking through the woods and the terrain is not altogether safe. And a misstep could cause the son to step over and to fall off the cliff or to be seriously injured on a rock. And the father holds the son by the hand. And, and even though the son has a hard time keeping up with the father, even when the, the son begins to fall, the father kicks in and keeps the son from utterly falling and utterly failing. He says, this is a picture of your heavenly father that, listen, you're gonna fall, 
Matter of fact, Solomon says a good man may fall seven times. And really seven is just, it's a perfect number, which means that you're perfect at failing. Isn't that great? What'd you learn today at church? I'm perfect. I never do it. I'm perfect. I'm perfect at failing. I'm so good at it. I'm an expert. He says, even though a good person, because good people fall, good people fail, good people misstep. But even when a good person falls down seven times, the Lord is there to lift him or her back up. And if that's true, and people of faith, we believe that that's true. You know what we find in that? We find hope in that. We find peace in that. We find freedom and joy in that. To know that I'm gonna fall and you're gonna fall, but he's always there to keep me from utterly falling, being utterly destroyed, that's good news because he's always there. In Psalm 46, you've heard this before, says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. It means he's never absent, he's ever-present. He's never absent, he's ever-present in trouble. He's always there. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake and it just keeps on going, though everything begins to fall apart, you don't have to fall apart. When you look around and you think, man, this just seems so weighty. This is concerning. This is terrifying. You know, you're watching the news and there's Hezbollah and there's Hamas and there's Israel. And you know, what's Putin and Russia up there up to? And you got Iran, they're sticking their nose into this. And we're deploying ships to the Persian Gulf and we're putting people on alert. And, and it looks like when you just take a look at culture and the world in general, it's almost like it's held together by just a very, very thin roll of thread. And it seems like one little thing could just send the whole thing into chaos. And he says, you ever find yourself feeling that way or thinking that way? He's never absent. He's ever present right in the time of trouble. And even if the mountains are falling into the sea, and even though the rivers are redirected and the floodwaters rise and all hells broke loose, he's there with you right in that moment, right in that season. The ground may be shaking, but your faith doesn't have to be shaken. The ground may be shaking, but your hope doesn't have to be shaken. And that's a promise to hold on to. I told you it's everywhere. There's another Psalm where David was older and he says, I was young and now I'm old. I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Psalmist said, you know what, I, I, I'm older now, but I've looked back and I have noticed something that escaped me before. I noticed that God remains the constant factor, the consistent factor in the lives of his sons and daughters. I realized that God has never forsaken his own, no, not once. And the idea being that David says, you know what, as an old man now, as an old person, who sees things a bit more clearly than I've ever seen them before because I got a lot of years behind me, I'm finally beginning to realize that God takes responsibility for the lives of his sons and daughters. 
And I've never seen God walk away from a son. I've never seen God walk away from a daughter. I've never seen him write them off. I've never seen them cut them off. I've never seen him cancel, not one of his children. And not only does he refuse to abandon them or forsake them, but he provides for them because he's faithful. Again, this is all throughout the scripture. And he says, you should know this and you should hold on to this and you should hang your faith on this. Isaiah the prophet comes along. And he quotes Israel. Israel was saying in that particular season of their, of their existence, their history, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. So you thought you were the only one who ever felt forsaken and forgotten by God, but Israel, they felt that way all the time. And at this particular moment, the reason they feel that way is because they're in exile. They're suffering the consequences of their own choices. And sometimes God lets us do that. God lets us suffer the consequences of our own choices. And so they're suffering the consequences of their own choices and now their circumstance is affecting their emotions and they feel forgotten, they feel forsaken by God. They've done this to themselves. They feel as though God has abandoned them. They feel as though God has forsaken them, that God has written them off. But God asks them a question. He says, can a mother, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget. And I think this is, this is God never whitewashes reality. He never tries to cover up our humanity. Can a mother who's nursed a child act as though that child never existed? Can a mother who nursed a child at a moment in that child's life refuse to show compassion to that same child? Can a mother forsake her own offspring, abandon her own offspring? And we can look around in our culture. We know that's true. We see that true all the time. And God says, can a mother do that? And everybody's thinking, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen that happen. And he says, though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. A mother may forget her son or daughter. A mother may abandon her son or daughter. A mother may be capable of absolute unfathomable evil on a son or a daughter that belongs to her. But not with God. God is not a reflection of your mom or your dad. He is a perfect heavenly father. He is in a class all on his own. And he says, I'll never forget you because you're engraved in the palm of my hands. And that's all, and that's in the Old Testament. You thought it was all just fire and brimstone. You thought it was all judgment. There's a lot of feel good back there in the Old Testament. You just gotta know where to go look. And it permeates the storyline. And then you get to the New Testament and you find the birth of Jesus that the world's gonna slow down and celebrate here in a couple months. And it's the birth of Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, God with us. And here's Jesus, God with us, who says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That me and the Father are one. Jesus looks at his disciples shortly before his death and resurrection and he looks at them in the upper room and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He's been, you know, you've heard John 14, one, you know, do not let your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. But I go away to prepare a place for you that when I come again, I will take you back to where I've been so that you may be with me also. And he just goes through all this stuff. And, and now he's telling me, he's, guys, I'm gonna depart. I, I'm gonna be crucified. There's gonna be a resurrection. I'm gonna ascend back into heaven. But I'm gonna tell you, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans because that's not who God is. That's not who I am. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna abandon you. I'm, I'm not gonna just leave you behind. And so he says, I'm gonna give you the spirit. I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna place my spirit, God's spirit inside of you so that no matter where you are or where you go or what's going on around you, I'm always with you because I'm in you. I will not leave you as orphans. So take heart, be encouraged. And right before he ascends back, Jesus looks at him and says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm gonna be with you to the very end. Never gonna abandon you, never gonna forsake you. This is something Jesus followers never have to worry about. We never have to worry about being left by God, abandoned by God. Jesus, he could, he could have said, and I think he was saying, no matter, no matter who you are, I'm gonna be with you to the end. And no matter what you may do, I'm gonna be with you until the end. I cannot and I will not walk away from you. And then comes the apostle Paul and the apostle Paul, he's reading the prophets and he's reading the Torah and, and he kind of picks up on some theology. And so he writes to a, a, a church in Rome and here's what he says to those Christians. He says, I, I've read the book and I've met Jesus and I, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that neither death and uh, death, we kind of know what that is. It's a big deal. It's our greatest enemy. It's the one that we cannot evade. It's coming for every single one of us. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life. Now life's the one that's loaded. We can fit a lot in in life. We can be guilty of a lot in life. There's a lot of mistakes and missteps and sin and rebellion. There's a lot of disappointment and pain and strife. There's a lot of stuff in life. He says, but I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, no, no spiritual principality, no spiritual reality, neither the present, whatever's going on right now, or the worry of what the future may hold, nor any powers, political powers, social powers, economic powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us, separate me, separate you, separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, nothing can make God stop loving you. Nothing can cause God to be disloyal to you. Nothing can separate you from him. That's good news and that's the gospel. In a world where canceled, where we see people canceled and abandoned and erased, and where we do that to one another, God refuses to play by those rules. And then we get to the writer of uh, Hebrews, and we don't even know who it is. We can't even properly give citation to it. I, I, I don't know, but I, I just kind of imagine that the writer of Hebrews, who was uniquely interested in the history of the Jewish people, but he's writing to new covenant Christians, including Gentiles. It's almost like he takes one verse and sums up everything we've talked about so far. You say, well, if, he, if he's about to sum up everything we talked about so far, why didn't you just read that one verse? And we could have got out of here a lot faster. Yeah, but it would have been half the fun. The, the writer of Hebrews says, okay, let me just put it this way. 
God has said. God has said in Deuteronomy, God has said in Joshua, God has said in the Psalms, God has said in Isaiah, God has said in Jeremiah, God has said in Micah, God has said in Nahum, God has said in Haggai, he has said in John and in Romans and in a host of other places in between. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I read after them. And let me tell you what it originally says in the original language. Never will I leave you. No, never will I forsake you. He gives us three emphatics. Never will I leave you. No, never will I forsake you. The word leave, the word leave right there, it means to send back. It means to let go of, to give up on, to unfasten, to abandon, to desert, to neglect. He says, never will I leave you. I'm not gonna send you back like you're a defective thing that I've ordered online. It didn't fit. It wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. It looked better in the picture. I thought it would be better than it actually is. So I'm just gonna send it back. He says, I'm never gonna send you back. I don't care how disruptive, how defective your life may look and seem. I'm never gonna send you back. I'm never gonna let you go. I'm never giving up on you because I who started a good work in you, I will perform it until the day that my purpose is complete. I will not unfasten you from myself. I will not abandon you. I will not desert you. I will not neglect you, no. And he says, never will I forsake you. And the word forsake is similar, but different. He says, I'm never gonna leave you behind. I'm never gonna cut ties with. I'm never gonna disown you out of my family. I'm never gonna walk away from you and leave you in a mess alone, even if it's the mess you created. Never, not under any circumstances. There isn't one scenario that you can think of. There is not one scenario that you can create, put it out there on paper, hypothesize about, speculate, imagine. There's not a single scenario that you can ever come up with where God will leave you or forsake you. Not one. Yeah, but what about? Never. Well, what about them? Never. Well, that's a pretty big, never. Never. No, never will I leave or forsake you. That's the promise of scripture. I will not forsake you. I will not abandon you. God says, it's not who I am. And it's not what I do. No matter how selfish Trevor Barton you may be and how stubborn you can become, regardless of how much you may love your sin and refuse at times to let it go, no matter how many things you get wrong in the face of duplicity or hypocrisy or inconsistency, I want you to hear your Father in heaven. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Never, no never. But here's the thing. Sometimes we feel like we're forgotten and abandoned. Sometimes we look around and it's hard to find God and sense God and feel God in what we're going through. So why do we do that? Well, I know that faith has something to do with it because faith is trust 
But sometimes our faith is undermined because we assume that God must be something like us. That God must be something like people. And we see people cancel people and disown people and walk away from people and judge and punish people without grace and mercy and compassion. And we assume maybe God is that way. At times our circumstances or our choices make us question whether or not we've been abandoned or not. But I'm telling you, many great men and women of faith have felt that way. Job, God, where are you? Elijah, I'm the only one. David, why have you forsaken me? Jeremiah, you've driven me into the deepest, darkest place and you've left me alone. And even Jesus, our savior, who on the cross, even his own pain within his humanity said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Now, I I don't personally believe that God forsook his son on the cross. I don't think that the Trinity can turn on the Trinity. There's some serious problems, but it's kind of incorporated itself into our modern way of thinking because we sing it in some songs that the father turned his face away and we're like, oh, the father abandoned the son. The father didn't abandon the son. The father, the father can't abandon his son. He can't abandon you. But times like Jesus, we feel like, God, are you there? Have you forsaken me? So what do you do when you feel alone? When you feel forsaken and abandoned by God? Let me give these to you really quick and this is the end. Look up and be reminded that God is sovereign. He's in control of every situation, every detail, every chapter. There's no detail outside the scope of his control. And here's good news, don't miss this. The one who is on his throne, he is on your side. The one who is on his throne, he is on your side. The one who holds the world in his hand has you in his hand. The one who calls the stars by name, he knows your name. The one who numbers the sands on the seashore, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the fears in your heart. He knows the struggle in your soul. Look up, God is sovereign and he will not forsake you and he will not abandon you. Then look back and be reminded that God is faithful. Look back at the stories of great men and women in the scripture or throughout history. And remember that God was faithful to Abraham and to Sarah. God was faithful to Moses and Joshua and Samson and Gideon and David and Ruth and Naomi. Remember that he was faithful that he did not fail, he did not forsake, he did not abandon. The one who kept Israel, the one who preserved Israel despite her rebellion against God is the same God that will keep and preserve you for his own purposes. So look back, God is faithful. Look back over your own life and know that even when we've been faithless, he's been faithful. And even when we denied him, he did not deny us. We have to say what Jeremiah said, great is thy faithfulness, O God. He's faithful in the good and the bad. He's faithful when the sun is shining and the storm is coming. He's faithful at our best. He's faithful at our worst. He's faithful when I get it right. He's faithful when I get it wrong. And then look around and be reminded that God is able. Take a long look around. And when you look around and inevitably you see that worst moment, be reminded that God is able to forgive. Your deepest pain, remember God's able to heal it. Your biggest fear, remember that God's able to calm it. 
your hardest struggle, God is able to give you the strength to keep on fighting. Your greatest weakness, God is able to sustain you with his very own grace. When you look around, be reminded that God is able to take the ashes and he's able to turn them to beauty. Be reminded that God is able to take the darkness and make it give way to light. That God can take the despair and the despondency that you and I may feel and it can give way to hope. And God can even take what is dead and make it live again. Look around, God is able. And then last, look forward because God is good. And where he's taken you and where he's taken me and where he's taken us, it's better than where we've been. And the next chapter he's gonna write with your life and my life is better than the chapter that came before it. God is preparing right now in real time. God is preparing a future for you where every bad thing in your present and every bad thing in your past turns to good. Every painful thing, every disappointing thing, every sinful thing is gonna become good because there's greener pastures ahead and there's calmer waters ahead. And that's good news. Look forward, God is good. So what does this mean? It means when I fail him, he will not fail me. And when I deny him, he will not deny me. When I am faithless, he remains faithful. And God's love for me is his assurance of his loyalty to me. Even when we forsake God, God never forsakes us. He can't, he won't, not for a single moment. He will not abandon you. He will not sever ties with you. He will not send you back. He will not walk away from you. He will not neglect you. He will not ignore you. When you fall down and you will, he will help you back up. And if you're not ready to get back up, he will wait until you can. And then he will walk forward with you hand in hand. And the next time you fall, he will not let you fall utterly to your own destruction. You will not utterly fail. That's who he is. That's what he does. He will not cancel you. He will not write you off. He will not erase you, will not condemn you, will not forget you. No, not for a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray we receive your promise. I pray we receive this hope. This hope which gives life to peace and joy that we have a perfect heavenly father who loves us and is consumed with his love for us, that is loyal to us, even when we're disloyal to him. Father, thank you so much for how good you are and how great you are because you can't forsake us. You can't abandon us. You can't disown us. It's not who you are. It's not what you do. Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Let's stand and let's sing about it and let's receive it and celebrate it for the truth that it is.